Let us pray. Heavenly Father, again, Lord, I thank you for your love. I thank you for your word. Lord, I just ask this morning as we dive into your word that you will give me the words to speak, that you will help me to step aside so that you can speak through me. And Lord, I ask that you will um, open the ears of the congregation this morning. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So we are continuing our sermon series in the book of Acts called Jesus' Mission Continues. And we're looking at the early church to figure out what lessons we can learn to apply to our vision of worshiping God by making disciples through the gospel of Jesus Christ. This morning we're going to be in Acts chapter 14. And we're going to finish out that chapter. It's uh, 20, well, the second half of verse 20 through 28. We're also finishing Paul's first missionary journey. And this passage shows us three realities of the Christian life. First is that Christians need relationships. Second is that Christians are utensils in God's hands. And third is that uh, Christians have a hope that is eternal. Again, three realities of the Christian life is that Christians need relationships. We are utensils in God's hands and we have a hope that is eternal. So just like many of our other sermons recently, I'm going to start off with a map. So the red dot here is Antioch and this is where they started this journey. And then they traveled down to the island of Cyprus and across to Paphos. Uh, and there they saw the Jewish magician, Elymas, or Bar-Jesus. Um, and then they traveled up to Antalya, um, and then over to uh, Syrian Antioch. Then they went down to Konya, and throughout all these different places, they're starting in the synagogue and preaching to the Jews, and then from the synagogue they would work out into the Gentile population. Well, at, uh, at Iconium, or as it says up here, Konya, at Iconium, they were chased out of town because the people there tried to stone Paul. And so they run to a little town, um, sorry, they run to a little town called Lystra. It's right outside of Iconium. And at Lystra, there wasn't a synagogue there for Paul to start at. So he started just preaching to the people there. Now there, they were mistaken as gods. And the people wanted to make sacrifices to Paul and Barnabas as Hermes and Zeus. Now I will say last week, I'm, I I'm, um, ugh, can't talk. I, I misspoke. Um, or I was, I guess, uninformed. I said that I didn't think that the, the, um, the Roman mythology had a, a creation story. Well, it does, but it actually goes back a couple generations before Zeus. Um, and so when Paul is talking about the living God, he's contrasting that with Zeus because he's saying that this God is the God who created the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them, as opposed to Zeus, who being the strongest God in, the Ro in Roman mythology, he didn't create anything. He didn't create uh, any of creation. So he's contrasting um, God, the God of the Bible, Yahweh, with Zeus. Well, here, unfortunately, those people who were trying to stone him back in Iconium, they caught up with him, and they did stone him, but they didn't kill him. And so uh, this week, it's going to be a little different, but we'll start off with a quick trip over to Derby, And that's still not too far away. So we're going to pick that up in verse 20, the second half of verse 20. It says, the next day he left with Barnabas for Derby. After they had preached the gospel in that town and made many disciples, they returned to Lystra, to Iconium, and to Antioch, strengthening the disciples by encouraging them to continue in the faith by telling them, it is necessary to go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. When they had appointed elders for them in every church and prayed with fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. So it, this doesn't tell us a whole lot about Derby. Just that they preached the gospel and that they made disciples. There we go. Just that they preached the gospel and make, made disciples. Now there's a lot of connection here with our vision here at this church. Our vision is worshiping God by making disciples through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now this, time, this seems to be a good time to review a couple definitions. The first definition that I want to review is gospel. 
So the gospel is the good news that God came to earth as the man, Jesus. And he lived a perfect life, and he died on the cross, and he was raised from the dead to reconcile our relationship with the Father, that we broke because of our sin. So Jesus came and made that right. If I, want, if, if I wanted to show you a picture of the gospel, it would look like this. If you've been here a while, you've seen this many times. And this is called the Three Circles Presentation, the Three Circles Gospel Conversation Tool. Uh, and it goes like this, that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. He created all of the universe. And he created us in that universe. Now, the purpose of this was for us to be in perfect relationship with God and for us to be in perfect relationship with each other and for us to be in perfect relationship with the rest of creation for the glory of God. But we sinned. We went away from that design. And that sin is any time that we go against God's will for our lives. It can be doing things that God has told us not to do. It can be not doing things that God has told us to do. Or it can be having sinful thoughts, such as lust or envy. Now that sin leads us to a place of brokenness. And we see evidence of that brokenness all around us. Whether it's in our relationships, or in the way that we treat people, or it can be in the natural disasters like hurricanes. All of those are evidence of the brokenness caused by the sin of humanity. Now people try all sorts of different things to work their way out of brokenness or to earn their way out of brokenness. They can dive into their job and try to earn enough money to buy happiness or to buy some way to fix this brokenness. But eventually that's just gonna lead back to brokenness. People try to dive into their families and work on those relationships and making those relationships better to try to fix the brokenness. But eventually that again, as good as it sounds, it's only gonna lead back to brokenness. Some people try to hide the pain of that brokenness through drugs or alcohol, but that's just going to lead back to more brokenness. We can't earn our way out of this brokenness. We cannot work our way out of it. So God sent his son. Down here in this circle it says gospel. God sent his son, Jesus, to die for our sins so that when we believe in him and we repent from our sins, then we can recover and pursue God's design in our life. When we believe in the sacrifice that Jesus made, when we have faith in that, we call out to him for salvation, then we are free to recover and pursue God's design in our life. Through the gospel is the only way that we can, that we can reconcile our relationships with each other. Through the gospel is the only way that we can have our, our relationship with God reconciled. So that's the picture of the gospel. The other term I want to define is disciple. So what is a disciple? I get my definition for disciple from Matthew 4, 19. And this is where Jesus says, follow me and I will make you fish for people. So a disciple from this verse, a disciple is identified by and is growing in three areas. That's knowing, being, and doing. The knowing is where Jesus says, follow me. The being is where Jesus says, I will make. And the doing is where he says, fish for people. So that's the knowing. A disciple has accepted salvation through Jesus and, is, and the lordship of Jesus. Like we're saying, yes, you will be my Lord and I'm not going to try to be my own Lord anymore. Or I'm not going to let something else be my Lord, but that Jesus is going to be my Lord. The being, that comes from when Jesus says, I will make. And so this is that the disciple is constantly being transformed through the gospel and the Holy Spirit. We're constantly being made more like Jesus. And the doing, this is fish for people. A disciple is doing the work of Jesus. And we relate that back to the Great Commission, going and making disciples of all nations. Okay? So I know you've heard these terms a lot. If you've been here a while, I know you've heard these terms a lot. I use these words a lot. And that's because we're trying to build a culture of sharing the gospel for making disciples. 
Now this all starts with affecting the, the vocabulary that we, we, that we use. Because words have meaning, and different people define different words, or some different people will define the same words differently. So if what we want to do, if we want to make disciples, we need to be clear as to what we're defining as a disciple. And if we're using the gospel to do that, if the tool for making disciples is the gospel, we need to be clear on what the gospel is. So it's important for us to have a, a clear understanding and an agreement on what these terms mean. You know, this is our vision at this church, is worshiping God by making disciples through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Speaking of that, is there anything better for a church to be known for than what it says right here? They had preached the gospel in that town and made many disciples. Is there anything better for a church to be known for? That would be wonderful. Now it says that they returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch. So Paul is traveling back through the towns where he had previously taught the gospel. So if we were to look at the map, it looks like this. This is where we left the map. So it says that uh, he's going back to Lystra, and then to Iconium, and then to Antioch. So he's going back to these different places and investing in the relationships that he's already made there. He's investing in those relationships. And this was the first point, that as Christians, we need relationships. Christians need ongoing relationships. And this passage points to two benefits of those relationships. First is that we comfort one another. Paul and Barnabas encouraged these churches by telling them, it is necessary to go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. They're not telling them, because if we misread this, it can sound like they're going to go through these hardships to earn the kingdom of God. That's not what they're saying. They're saying that because our destination is the kingdom of God, then we will go through different hardships. And like I said earlier, because of our sin, all of creation is going against God's will. All of creation is broken and it's going against God's will. And so if we are following God, if we're going in his will for our life, then we're going against the flow of the rest of creation. So that's going to cause hardships. Paul is telling them to be comforted. I'm sorry, Paul and Barnabas are telling them to be comforted. They're a bunch of new Christians. They wouldn't know what to expect a lot of times with all these hardships coming. Maybe I made the wrong decision. But they're saying, no, be comforted. This is normal. This is what to expect as a Christian. But our goal in the end is so much better. That eternal kingdom of God is so much better than any hardships we can have here. Secondly, it says that he uh, appointed uh, elders in these different cities, or in these different churches. These relationships can be used for disciple making. Like I said, there are two benefits. First is that there is the encouragement, and second is discipleship. We can, uh, these relationships can be used for disciple making, for growing in maturity as believers. Verse 23 tells us they had appointed elders for them in every church. Now this morning's theme, I, it, could also, it could almost be a theme of review because I'm kind of repeating a lot of things that I've said before. So I've said before that I don't think it's biblical or practical to have a church leadership that centers around one person. A lot of churches have that leadership structure where it fall, everything falls under the pastor. I don't think that's biblical or practical. You know, here it says that they appointed elders, that's plural, for them in every church. That's singular. So in every town as they were going, in each church, he appointed elders. Another passage that's similar to that would be Ephesians 4, 11 through 13. And this is Paul. He says, And he gave himself some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors, or another translation there says shepherds, and teachers, 
equipping the saints for the work of the ministry to build up the body of Christ until we all reach unity in the faith and the knowledge of God's Son, growing in maturity with a stature measured by Christ's fullness. <clears throat> so this passage right here lists four ways that a plurality of leadership helps the church body. It's equipping the believers for work. It's building up the body, unity in faith and knowledge, and growing in maturity. So this plurality of leadership, I think, is, is the biblical model, bi biblical model for us to strive for as a church. I realize that's something that we have a lot of growth for and a lot of different reasons for us to strive for that. But I think that that's something that we should be looking forward to. We should be looking to raise up leaders from within our congregation so that they can take up that leadership role within the church. So the first point is that as Christians, we need relationships. If we keep reading, we'll see the other points. And starting in verse 24, it says, They passed through Pisidia and came to Pamphylia. After they had spoken the word in Perga, they went down to Italia. From there they sailed back to Antioch, where they had been com uh, commended to the grace of God for the work they had now completed. After they arrived and gathered the church together, they reported everything God had done with them, and that He had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. And they spent a considerable time with the disciples. So again, let's go, to, go back to our map real quick. And it says that they went through um, Pisidia. Now this is where Pisidian Antioch is located, and that's where we left off. But then it says that they spoke the word in Perga and went down to Italia. Now I didn't put a stop here for Perga, because Perga is right outside of Italia. Uh, then it says they sailed back to Antioch. Now we don't know why, but for some reason they skipped going back to the island of Cyprus. I mean, it, it's, it's almost on the way, but for some reason they skipped that. We don't know why. All right, but it says Paul and Barnabas, uh, or, sorry, Paul and Barnabas finished their first missionary journey, uh, the only one that they would take together by going back to where it started, where the Holy Spirit commissioned them, or as it says in verse 6, um, where they had been, been commended to the grace of God for the work they had now completed. So while they're there, they give a mission report. They talk about what has, done, what, what has happened so far. It says they reported everything God had done with them. Now, what is said here, I think is important, the way this is said, it doesn't say that they reported everything that they did. It doesn't say that Paul and Barnabas reported everything that they did. It doesn't say that Paul and Barnabas reported everything that they did with God's help. Or it doesn't say that they reported everything that they did and then gave the credit to God. No. It says that they reported everything that God did through them, with them, or that God had done with them. So they gave the credit to God. The work was what God had done. And so it wasn't what Paul and Barnabas had done. It was what God had done. See, it's important for us to know that building God's kingdom is not going to happen through our efforts. Building God's kingdom happens through our surrender. And we let God work through us. Now, I don't know any Christian or any church that would disagree with that statement, at least in words. But maybe they would disagree with it in their actions. So instead of surrendering to God and letting Him use us, often we try to do God's work on our own and then put His name tag on it. You know, if you're trying to be a Christian without prayer or studying the Bible, then you are guilty of this. If you're trying to live the Christian life without being bathed in prayer and bathed in the Word, then you are guilty of this. So having a right prayer life is the way that we surrender to God. It reminds us that we are weak, frail, sinful humans. 
and that God is mighty, powerful, and wise. So studying the Bible reminds us of God's goodness and his faithfulness through the generations and how we are to relate to him. So a Christian trying to live their life without a healthy prayer life and Bible study is kind of like a hammer trying to build a house without the builder. It's like a hammer looking to the builder and saying, oh, don't worry about it. I can do this. I can drive that nail in on my own without your help. But you see, a hammer has a handle for a reason, because without being in the hands of the carpenter, it's no good. If the hammer is not in the hands of somebody that knows how to use it, it's no good. So something specific that we can pray about from this, something a specific takeaway from this, is that we can pray about what it is that God wants us to do as a church. Now, last week I sent out a list for us to be praying over, and this list was uh, what God had uh, ideas that God had given us through our fast. And there's a lot on there. And as a church, there's no way that we can do all of those. And even if we had the manpower to do all of those, I don't know that it would be right for us to do all of those things because then we would be so busy running and doing everything that we wouldn't have time to, uh, to devote to relationships. Yes, I do think God wants us to do some of those things. So it is our job, our, our response would be to pray about those things. Go back and check that list and see what it is that God wants you to take leadership in um, or be a part in the planning process for this church. So we're asking that you pray for God's leadership and guidance to show you what projects or events he wants to use you in. So telling what God had done was the first of two things in their mission report. The second was that he had, uh, they told how God had opened the door of the faith to the Gentiles. That God had opened the door of the faith to the Gentiles. See, for us, this is big news. Because as far as I know, none of us in here are Jewish. I don't think we are anyway. So that God opened the door to the Gentiles, he's talking about us. A Gentile is just a non-Jew. And see, most Jews in the first century believed that God's Messiah was coming to save the Jews from the Romans. At that time, the, the nation of Israel was not a nation in their own right. They were under Roman rule. And so the Israelites wanted God's Messiah to come and to kick out the Romans and to be the next Davidic king, to be the king in the line of David. But when Jesus came the first time, he didn't come as a political ruler. He came as a sacrificial lamb. Because if Jesus had come as the king the first time to set God's perfect kingdom, then it would be a kingdom with no humans in it. Because you cannot be a member of God's kingdom if you are guilty of sin. So he came the first time to pay the penalty for that sin so that when he comes to, to, uh, to set his kingdom here, that there will be a people there, that there will be inhabitants in this kingdom. See, he's going to come back a second time. And that second time will be as the perfect king in the Davidic lineage. And at that point, anyone still living who has not believed in the gospel will be thrown out of that kingdom. See, most of the first century Jews didn't see this. And so they rejected Jesus. But God had opened the gospel to those, who, those of us who are not Jews. See, we can be inhabitants of Jesus' eternal, perfect kingdom if we just call out to him for salvation. If we call out to Jesus for salvation, believe that his perfect life and sacrifice paid the price for our sins. And that he has been raised again to reign eternal as Lord. Then we can inherit the kingdom of God with him. We can be adopted into God's family as children of God. So before we transition into our application portion of the sermon, 
please note that this application is a precursor to any of the others. And that is to call out to Jesus for salvation, to be saved, to believe in the gospel for the salvation of your sins. So our application is to know, know that hard times will come. Know that there's going to be hard times because as Christians, we're going against the flow of culture. We're going against the flow of the rest of creation. Second is to be, be a tool in God's hands. Allow him to use you. Don't be the hammer trying to drive in a nail without the builder. Pray for surrender. So that's the doing, pray. Pray for surrender. Pray that God will give you a spirit of surrender so that he can use you. And pray for God to show you where he wants you to take leadership in this church. To, to show, for God to show you what projects he wants you to be a part in planning for, um, and for us moving forward. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you so much for your word. Lord, I thank you for the example of Paul and Barnabas. That as they went, they were surrendered to you. Father, I pray this morning that we will have that same spirit of surrender. That we can lay it all over to you. That we can be tools in your hands. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So we've come to our point of response. You can respond where you're seated and pray. Or you can come to the front and pray. Or you can come pray with me. But please do not ignore the calling of the Holy Spirit this morning.